recording. <coughs> Where's the beer? Yep. Right Have here. a cheers. Alright. Mana, cheers and welcome to the show. Ivan, what's up man? <laughs> I have to say this is going to be the most romantic episode yet. We are sitting on the beach here in Mitigama, correct? Yeah. Sri Lanka. It is nighttime, and this is actually the spot where we met. You were sitting here reading, and then the waves and the storm came in, and we just went out there and let the waves push us around for a couple hours. <laughs> just had that urge man to jump in and get thrashed. Sometimes you got to do that. Mother Nature bring you in and chew you up and spit you back out. <laughs> Put you on a beach, get interviewed for a podcast. There we go. Here we are. <laughs> and here we are. Well, I've wanted to talk to you because you, you come from an interesting background and you have a really unique angle on your travel experiences. And, uh, and it's related to something I love a lot and I think a lot of people love a lot, and that's food. So tell me about your background in food and how you got interested in cuisine and cooking. Um, so as I said earlier, my family came from like a rubber tree plantation in the south of Thailand, bordering Malaysia. And at one point, my grandma just decided to get away from that and move to Pattaya City in east of uh, Bangkok. And we just started a restaurant there. So as a little kid, three years old, probably I was already doing dishes and stuff like that, just helping out through the restaurant polishing plates, whatnot. Um, one of my favorite experiences with food is I'll just go out with my grandma at two, three in the morning. That's when the markets in Thailand are booming and that's when you get ingredients for the restaurant. Go out with her, help her carry the food, come back, she'll make some breakfast and then send me on my way to school. Um, we have this thing where we have a table and like in the afternoon after school I'll just sit down and you know everyone will sit down around the table we start peeling garlic, ginger, <laughs> onions, whatever and it's just like the bonding time for us it started there I have to say that's, that's when I got like really into food and started loving the whole idea of it So is it, is it only the food or is it the social aspect then that, that kind of drew you in? I mean, is one is it is food is good without the social aspect, and the, are social experiences enhanced by having a food component to them? That's definitely a. Um, but that took me probably when I got a bit older and actually started going out. Let's say back in high school, you know, let's meet up, have have a burger here in New Zealand or whatever, or in Thailand, go get some papaya salad. Um, you actually invite people and you get them to come around together and that is when I experienced the social aspect of it but definitely a bit when I was a bit older that's when I thought into it and it's there for sure and you've you've told me some stories about how that social component has played a part in your travels and in, in group gatherings and stuff like that do you do you actually cook while you're a lot while you're on the road while you're traveling uh, not for myself, but I do jump into situations where I feel, fuck, I want to cook for these guys. And yeah, <laughs> I'll just go out and I'll ask the hostel or whatever I'm staying at, I was like, can I use your kitchen and put on a little feed for, for you and the guys? And 
every time it's just been sweet ass and yeah they just let me do it does anybody ever tell you no no not at all man Every, everybody li everybody likes being cooked for I exactly yeah. they're <laughs> like oh what are you gonna cook and i, I just say i have no idea <laughs> and um yeah again they just they love the fact that people are gonna cook for them yeah yeah in those situations are you initially inspired um to cook a certain dish or do you just kind of go out and and see what what's available in the market yeah, definitely go out and see what's available in the market and the ingredients that I have to work with. That's my favorite thing to do. It's just what's there on the spot and then put it together. What's there in the pantry, I'll go through the kitchen first in the hostel and see, okay, I can use that. I have this equipment. This is the extent I can cook. And then I work with that, yeah. And obviously ask people, if they have any dietary requirements or if they're allergic to anything but don't like anything most of them would be coriander mm -hmm. um, when I was in Thailand and one of the British girls said ah coriander is not really my thing and I was like fucking hell <laughs> you're in Thailand um, but yeah and coriander is cilantro in yes, American in English sense, yeah okay yeah. I was just making sure I always forget whether or not that's that's its uh, equivalent so take me take me through your journey into this chef life like where where have you worked where have you gotten more experience and and how is it how is it kind of tying into your travels so before i joined the army i was already working in a thai restaurant back in new zealand and once i got there after the recruit course i was initially doing combat and then I sort of realized well once I get out into the real world it's not really gonna help me out in terms of I guess progression because all I'll be doing is security work or if I take it to the extreme if I were to pursue that path um, I would have been going to Africa or something and work on the sanctuaries and anti-poaching and stuff like that was the thought process I had and yeah, just seeing that there's no progression and that I just jumped into catering. And that's when I started, was back in the military. Yeah. And how old were you? I joined when I was 17, and I got into the cooking part when I was about 18, 19. Yeah. Like, professionally working, I would have been 10 years now. Okay. So I, I would count the two years before joining in there. I was just in front of house and I would run to the back of the kitchen and then cook when it's busy. And then just going back and forth, serving food, taking orders, cooking. Yeah. And what, what different styles of cuisine have you, have you been so playing with? So Thai first. And when I was doing courses in the military, it was based on like a really old school. It's called London City and Guilds. Um, you were taught like the basic French techniques and stuff like that. So it's pretty interesting. And obviously there was some aspects of Thai cooking before that. Um, after the French, I came out, I worked in a pub and stuff, sort of doing pub grub um, Italian food then I moved on to that it was Japanese 
and then moved up, worked on a vineyard, modern New Zealand, moved over to Australia, the modern Australian, which I had a lot of fun doing. And you, you talked to me a little bit about that. Can you go into what modern Australian entails? So I worked with this chef in New South Wales and he was working under this guy, Rene Redzepe, which is the owner of Noma or the, the head chef of Noma. And that restaurant won three years in a row, best restaurant in the world. And the head chef I was working with worked under him. Oh, wow. And he would, he obviously, you could see he took a lot of um, passion from that guy and knowledge and his approach to food, you know. And the the guy written here at I'll just go into him a little bit. He made Copenhagen a food destination for the world to go to. Mm-hmm. That's how much impact he had on, on the food world. And this chef I was working with, he would, you know, take me out, um, we'll go pick beach herbs in in New South Wales Beach, you know. Yeah. Uh, we'll go to the national park, pull down some paper bark that we use for cooking. Used a lot of in Australian ingredients, um, just really local. And Australia has so much like food and ingredient that you wouldn't even know exists. And he was just using that and turning it into restaurant quality food. And this year, actually last year, won um, two hats, which is the equivalent for, I guess, two Michelin stars. Mm-hmm. And it won best regional restaurant in New South Wales. So That's great. Yeah, yeah, I don't really think of, when I think of Australia, I think of a lot of things, but I don't really think of it as like a food place. Mm. Most people know it for its Vegemite, and that's that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> and kangaroo meat. The kangaroo meat, yeah. <laughs> no, nah, man, he's, he's doing really great things with it, and to be able to be in that environment and watch how he work and see his approach to food is just really inspiring, you know? Are there anything, is there anything specific that you took away from it that you know that you'll incorporate in any future endeavors in cooking? For him, it's his use of like natural fats in food. Like, you know, instead of using oil, he'll use beef fat to cook beef and, um, there's this thing where he does where there's the ingredient fish sauce and he'll crystallize it by dehydrating it Mm -hmm. and it actually comes out as little crystals and that's what he'll use to season the fish with or you know put it in a incorporate that into a fish dish so he really uses a lot of ingredient that derives from the actual protein let's say and incorporates that into the dish to fucking like, <laughs> how would I say, just enhance the flavor a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that with, with, his, with his cooking. Oh, it's really interesting. But you'd never use like, or would he ever use like pork fat to cook beef or chicken in? Or is it more so he wants to use it, the ingredient that's derived from the actual product that yeah, he's cooking? Yeah, that's, that's his approach. And okay. it's just to enhance that flavor, yeah. What yeah. else is there? His dessert game is pretty amazing as well. <laughs> <laughs> Any anything stand out in particular? Oh, I just loved his. Um, he does this thing where it's like tarts, 
and he, he changes it every so often with the season. When I was there, it was um, fruit tart, it was the middle of summer, all these berries were just booming. And after that, he changed it into uh, a Jerusalem artichoke tart. Mm-hmm. So again, like he'll just really highlights the, the ingredient. So this, the next tart, the Jerusalem artichoke tart, would be like the ice cream would be made from the Jerusalem artichoke, the filling in the tart, you know, you just scrub them really natural, no need to peel them and just fry it slowly so it becomes really tender mm-hmm. and caramelized. That goes into the tart, yeah. Sounds mm-hmm. complex. It is, it, it do you, is. Do you cook with such complexity, like when you cook for yourself? For myself, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think about more nutritional value. Yeah. Because surprisingly enough, when you work in a restaurant, you don't eat, man. It's in a busy place, you actually hardly find time to eat. And when I'm at home, when I have that time to make one or two meals, it'll just be, yeah, like breakfast would be muesli, yogurt, fruit, eggs on toast just really wholesome um, nutrition packed food yeah dinner <laughs> something to get you by yeah dinner will definitely be something to get me by would just be two minute noodles but I'll put some veggies in there stuff like that <laughs> it's always yeah, interesting finding out because you, you're so passionate about food what you do in home the majority of the time when you're not when you're actually just cooking for yourself but obviously preparing meals like you prepare at work definitely takes a lot more time energy planning definitely no one got time for that no no (laughs) oh man in in the day you have this big list where you know you gotta get it done or else you're not gonna have the the food to serve customers and it's always daunting when you walk in at first and you're like fuck that's a lot to do you know Mm -hmm. I've worked out a really cool system where there's the initial prep list that'll show you what you need to do and then I sort of like to handle it three times so I'll look at that list and then I'll put it into another column into like categories or into like a time where this one first that one first the importance of it and then as I go through it while I'm working on something or two things or three things at a time I'll circle it and that's sort of, it means I'm in the process. And once I'm done with it, I'll cross it out. So I sort of keep track of everything and then, yeah. It's quite the process. Did you come yeah. up with that on your own? I learned it from reading a blog on, um, I think, Facebook. And it was on this chef, Corey Lee. And he owns a few restaurants in the t- States. One called Benyu and he's a Korean chef, I think. And that that was his advice i saw that and i was like fuck i'm gonna try it out and it really works that's so deliberate that so, takes yeah. so much uh yeah preparation yeah it actually in a way takes a lot of pressure off you when you sort of work like that yeah and you're really focused on on the job yeah yeah it's true it's at, you know when i start cooking dishes i've never cooked before that are a little more complex it's amazing just how easy you can just forget the little things and just yeah. be like shit like 
now what do I do? And yeah. you panic because this is about ready for this ingredient, but in, before you can do that, you need this you need that this. you forgot. Yeah, you like, forgot oh, to chop man. up or prepare, yeah. yeah. Then you're just in a panic because you're preparing for someone else. That's the thing. There's so much knowledge with like, practice thousands of chefs in the world, millions probably. And if you really look into it, you can gain so much knowledge just by reading, you know, like recipe books, Facebook blogs, and yeah, it's just doing research and getting into it. Yeah, that's what you know really drew me to you when you made the comments. Um, when you're talking about different types of cuisine and how you study them, and do you remember what exactly you told me and how you phrased it? Yeah, um, what I try to take at the moment because I want to keep learning what I try to take from each cuisine that I work with is the philosophy behind it or the approach to food behind it that that cuisine I guess holds up upholds yeah yeah so as I said the Thai cuisine which I probably started off with let's say um, they really look for balance in taste so you have the four which is salty, sweet, sour, spicy and that is predominantly how Thai dishes are compiled, um, compiled and the end product is getting that right balance that really punches you in the face with all that that taste and that gorgeousness yeah. I love Thai food oh yeah can't wait <laughs> <laughs> you're going back soon soon, yeah it's a thing man Thai food deprivation syndrome <laughs> it's real it's real and the thing is in the states it's like if you want to go out for a nice curry you're going to probably pay $14 for it at least mm. you know and and then you go to Thailand and you get it way better and it's like 2 or $3 yeah it's hard to beat that I actually found a really cool one in Melbourne when I was working there and it was a Thai noodle house when I was looking for it, I, I was just looking for the address and I came upon a car park. It's like a three-story car park building and in the ground level, right in the middle, like where cars are parked, mm -hmm. there's just this little shop <laughs> right in the middle of a car park. And I just looked at it and I was like, that is so cool and so <laughs> tight. So <laughs> and when I walked in there, like they had everything to the T, like the tables, the plastic chairs, the little containers, the spoon and the chopsticks come in, mm -hmm. the little holder for um, toothpicks and napkins. They just made it so authentic. <laughs> as soon as I walked in, I was like, man, this is home. And when the soup noodle came out, I had, I think, beef, beef soup noodle. Uh -huh. Yeah. When it came out and I took that first sip, yeah, definitely transported back home. And you just randomly stumbled on this place? Yeah, yeah. Is it on Google Maps or anything? You I didn't look. It? I was just walking through Melbourne City and then it actually, the address, I saw the address and it said Soy 38, like S-O-I 38. Yeah. And the only time you see S-O-I, so the word Soy 38 in Thai means street number 38. So I was like, what, what the hell is this? And then I just followed that and then, yeah, there it was. <laughs> so great when you make those little discoveries oh yeah i went back there probably <laughs> oh, a lot of times i actually had eight there before i left melbourne 
just just to get one last taste for it. But one last taste at home. Yeah. What other philosophies have you discovered in in different nationality c- types of cuisines? So, another predominant one would be Japanese cuisine. When I was working in one in New Zealand, uh, just the the Japanese chefs that I was working with, they had a really perfectionist approach to their preparation, their execution. Um, and yeah, their, their whole philosophy is based on sort of working with the best ingredient and serving it at the best quality. And they don't like to compromise. Like this chef, he was making rice for the sushi and I think he made it wrong. I wasn't involved with the sushi, sushi section. I was on the hotline mm-hmm. cooking the steak and the karage chicken and um, fish and whatnot. But yeah, the dude made the rice and I think he got it wrong and he, he did another batch. And then the head chef was there just checking on the the little preparations that everyone has done. And then he checked the rice and he could tell straight away the whole texture was wrong. You know, there were these bits of rice that was good, that was pretty much on point. And then there were ones in the same bowl that weren't the same. And he just lost it, man. <laughs> but in a way where he went up to the guy that cooked it and was like, dude, you know, if you get it wrong, just do it again. But don't ever compromise and mix it two together because you're mixing bad quality with good quality. And at the end of the day, it's bad quality because there's already something in there that shouldn't be there you know it's like the chains only as strong as the weakest link pretty much put yeah. the bad bad quality in there it's yeah. all bad it's yeah. interesting you say that because I I remember listening to a podcast and I don't remember the exact details but they were talking about a sushi restaurant in Japan that's like super well known super hard to get into and I think it was like a father had it and then a son opened his and I mean it was like I think that he practiced for years mm. just focusing on the rice and cooking the rice properly. Like there was that much, that amount of perfection yeah. in in the creation of the sushi rolls yeah. that he was not allowed to create sushi rolls or work like on his own until he perfected the rice and, yeah. it took, and he spent years yep. on just that one aspect of the roll. Yeah. Which, I mean, it sounds absolutely crazy, but it's, it's also very beautiful in, its, yeah. in the same way. It's, it's that approach that I really love with the Japanese cooking, you know. Now, yeah, do you I think that you'll be that hard line, or do you think that there's a, a balance to be had in there? Are you more Thai? Are you more balanced? Are you more... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I just... If I go into a setting where I'm learning, I will take on as much knowledge as I can. And the point where I leave the place is not when I I would say I don't have anything else to learn, but once I get the whole idea of it and that I can sort of use it in my own way, that's when I'll leave. But no, I won't, I will not find myself cooking rice for two years. (laughs) Um, But I do, I do really love how, how that is a thing. You know? Yeah, that you appreciate that. I do appreciate that. Yeah, 
You appreciate and that other people do that. And <laughs> the thing is, man, as as a chef in a team, that's what it is. It's a team effort. If I were to open my own restaurant, I'm not gonna be the um, be or know it or sort of guy. You know, I'm gonna have to rely on some skills that the other chef can provide. Whether it be the guy that can cook rice perfectly, I'm shit at pastry. Like I can make desserts and stuff, but I know I'm gonna need to find myself a good pastry chef to sort of carry me through as well. It's it's not a one-sided thing, in my view anyway. As a head chef, I want everyone's input. I want us to carry each other and help each other out to make the most of what we can and give the best of what we can to the customer. That's that's how I want to run a restaurant, you know? Exactly. You yeah. want to hire the person who studied how to make rice for two years. Yeah, and, and I want to rely on them because if I can't rely on them, then there's no, no team. Yeah. I think people forget that aspect, or at least I know I didn't appreciate it until I read a book by uh, like called Kitchen Confidential and actually learned more about the inner workings of the kitchen and yeah. you know you'd assume like there's like a head chef and he's just back there cooking everything and doing everything by himself but it's yeah. not like that at all in fact with a head chef traditionally in his kitchen is when everything's fully going is he actually cooking anything or is he more so monitoring all the parts that he put in place and monitoring okay. monitoring yeah any, any okay sorry go ahead um like throughout the day they'll get involved and they'll be again tasting stuff making sure everything's up to par but then again you, the head chef can't do that all the time you know he's got his paperwork he's got his meetings he's got stuff to look at you know for the next few weeks whereas the guys on the floor in the trenches they're the ones that's going to carry the place through day in day out every day and yeah you, you just got to be able to trust your team are there any more philosophies from any more, more cultures? Well, there's one that's coming up next, and I'm going to be heading to Norway, well, to Scandinavia, and that'll be the next cuisine I want to pick up on. Which surprised me when you said that, because I don't think of, you know, uh, a big foodie culture when I think of Norway like, and Scandinavia. Like so. a lot of cured fish and bread and <laughs> pickles. I, don't, I wouldn't even know. I don't even know. I just know... The Big Mac index is that the food's very expensive. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to be a bit of, in a bit of trouble when I get to Norway because i got fuck all money. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even supposed to be traveling through Sri Lanka and India and stuff, or Singapore for that matter. But I spent two weeks in Singapore, and that was probably unnecessary. It's a little more expensive there, yeah? Yeah. yeah. But I, I loved every day of it, obviously. Yeah. Like, again let's say just put food into perspective again and they have all these cultures you know indian muslims chinese vietnamese thais indonesians malaysians and there's so much food culture there and you can taste every aspect of it while you're there and in that sense there's so there's all that culture co-mingling together you know and i saw that on buses with Chinese ladies and Muslim ladies and Indian ladies just sitting around talking it's just cool to see yeah yeah Singapore definitely seems like a really interesting place I mean it's just a small small city country yeah. and 
I mean, there's so much discipline there, but there's also so much harmony. And yeah. it's not like a, a proper nation where it has like this long history of just being itself, right? No. I mean, it's definitely a melting pot, a true melting pot. Of yeah, and it's only developed probably, I think, when I was, I went to the museum and whatnot. And I think only last year that they had their 50th anniversary of independence, where they actually started moving forward as a country, as Singaporeans. So it's still a pretty young country in that sense. But yeah, I loved, I loved every day of it. Where were we, Scandinavia? Yeah, Scandinavia, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I want to take from there in terms of how I'm approaching my travels is the food that they make. There's some guys there that's really doing awesome stuff with the ingredients that's available to them in Scandinavia. And with that in mind, they have really like long, harsh winters there and short summers. So in the summertime, spring, when everything is just popping up, growing out of the grounds, you know, being really luscious and just booming with ingredients, to use that in the winter time that's coming, they really have to think about preservation and how they can use the ingredient, you know, towards the winter. And also how to use it with what's available after that, which is the seafood. Once that water gets cold, crispy, the fish, the, the crustaceans, the meat just gets a different firmness in it and so much more fresh. And yet, from Scandinavia, I really want to pick up on their use of seasonality because they have to, and that's predominantly their food culture that I want to really pick up on. And yeah. in seasonality, is it typical? I guess you haven't been there yet, but I imagine then it would be very typical, like there's just certain types of foods that aren't served at certain times of the year. Definitely, yeah. And I mean, this day and age, there's so much export and import going in and out of countries all over the world where you can get these ingredients. But that's not what I want to be doing. I want to really work with what's available. I want to work with the farmers that's growing it, I don't know, a couple of kilometers down the road from my restaurant, stuff like that. Yeah, and that's, I need to go to Scandinavia and see how well they do this and also pick up on the knowledge of how adaptable adaptable they can be with this so yeah man i'm looking forward to it and then after that you had some other plans other other endeavors that you wanted to pursue in the culinary world yep so since i'll be in europe obviously i'm going to use norway as a little base to get around and travel europe and for the next working destination after that or next kitchen I want to go into would be an Italian one. I don't even mind if I hit up one of the Italian boys that I know and ask if I can just go live with their grandma for a bit. <laughs> that's great. Seriously, because that's yeah. what their food is based on. And um, like there's French cuisine and there's Italian cuisine that I love and the Italian cuisine just wins me over because 
um, the French have technique technique but as I would say the Italian has more of a um, family love that goes into mm -hmm. into the cooking and it's really like a simplistic approach but taken taken to the max um, the best restaurant in the world at the moment is in Italy and is do you know the name of it? Um, fucking hell probably something in Italian I might get it wrong in the order but I think it's Osteria Franciscana um, it's in a little town called Modena and the head chef's name is Massimo Bottura and his his food is amazing and yeah he's act actually what he is doing is challenging the tradition of Italian food Ooh, but that sounds at, dangerous. At, yeah <laughs> but at the same time he's highlighting Italian ingredients you know just in a really different way and yeah that Italian would be next I just love how they want to put certain ingredients in a dish and really want that ingredient to sing and complement the other and not to mix up the flavor too much it's a really clean taste at the same time really um, I guess very savory mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's interesting when you brought that up it was interesting that you said that because it's something that I hadn't really thought of I mean and everybody loves Italian food. Yeah. I mean, pizza, pasta, gelato. Yeah. You name it, people Tiramisu. love it. It's so, and it's so, I mean, it's available everywhere. And we do it in a lot of pizza, a lot of pasta in the States as yeah. well. But it's also, it's hard to appreciate the simplicity because it has become diluted, you know, in yeah, different cultures. Definitely. Like they, put, they put their own spin on it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But a, a simple pizza like a margarita is literally a nice very well thought of pizza dough a hot wood fired oven awesome tomato sauce good cheese basil and a bit of olive oil and that's it that's it it's a little bit of magic yeah but a magic and love and then you get this amazing piece of pizza yeah a slice of heaven <laughs> Yeah, I, um, when I make pasta or pizza, I'm especially for myself because I'm always trying to get as much. I use an excuse to get as much many veggies in as possible. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like just putting it the whole the whole enchilada, the whole nine yards on there. Yeah. You know, trying to make it, you know, healthy or yeah, get yeah. the vitamins and minerals that I need. But you know, when you look at like classic Italian pizzas, like there's simple combinations. Yeah. And um, I mean, when I lived with the Italian guy for a couple of weeks. In in Bolivia, you know, he was absolutely shocked that I wanted to put chicken in a <laughs> pasta. You know, and chicken Alfredo is just yeah. like a staple, a quote unquote Italian dish in the United States. You know, which yeah. makes you it makes you realize like how hard it is to discern like what is real and what isn't unless you've actually gone there and exactly and studied it. But I mean, it's it's beautiful, you know, especially being a minimalist like I am and enjoying simplicity like to think about when you said that how simple Italian food really is just with like a, a simple sauce and noodles or yeah, and good sauce and bread and 
and uh, and and, sh- and just be loved by so many people. Like I don't know anybody that hates Italian food. Mm, mm. Think another thing I want to take from it as well. Do you know when you cook pasta, right? Yeah. Dried pasta, at least. You sort of look at it and you're like, "How much do I need to cook?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like it's just for me or it's just for two people and you put in a certain amount and then boom you have enough for 20 people yeah like, <laughs> i've never gotten that right that's for sure yeah I've, yeah i've heard that before too. like with rice and stuff they always say like one cup per person or something like that but you know <laughs> pasta especially like depending on where you get it it can expand or yeah. like not expand enough and yeah i can eat a lot of pasta thing. myself yeah so. I think I can eat a lot of rice myself as well. <laughs> I like leftovers. So yeah, man. That's the right. thing. You can just eat it again later or tomorrow or make something out of it along the line. Whatever. It's, it's open for interpretation. I was curious, actually, because when I was talking to you earlier, it was, you know, you had mentioned that you wanted to do Italian next and you were even in, like, Texas barbecue. But... I just assume, like, I don't know why, I, I associate a lot of, you know, chefs wanting to study, like, French cuisine and stuff. Mm. Have you had any any experience in, like, a French kitchen or French training? French training from the army, definitely. And I worked with a French chef as well back in New Zealand. Um, as their, their technique is there for sure. And their cuisine is also pretty good why it hasn't crossed my mind to go into France and to pick up on that I have to say I don't really want to this is really generalizing and probably if people hear this podcast and they're French they're not going to like me a lot <laughs> But um, you can't make them all happy you can't and the thing is I'm not saying all chefs or French chefs do this but they seem to think that French cuisine is the best mm-hmm. whereas I think all cuisines are good and I don't really want to work in a place if I can find a French chef that says a lot of like that loves all cuisine and is open-minded to you know embrace all cultures then I'll be working under him for sure but I don't want to work with someone that upholds a certain level of pride and not be adaptable with what else is out there in the world makes sense yeah but as I said not all chefs think like that and if if I do find one in France I would definitely go and check it out and see and take a look eat ask for work whatever yeah I like it do you um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your your background so you you're you're born in Thailand, mm-hmm. right? And then your family moved to New Zealand. How old were you when you moved to New Zealand? Ten. Ten. Yeah. And how? Um, so you travel mainly on your New Zealand passport. At the moment, a bit of both, because I'm in the southern hemisphere. When I go through Southeast Asia, definitely Thai passport. Okay. Uh, a couple of years back they introduced this thing where it's very similar to the European Union 
where you can go into those countries without a visa or given a visa on arrival. Mm -hmm. um, but to go into Norway and actually coming here and going into India, I've been using my New Zealand passport. How does and how does that work actually? Because I you know I only have one passport, but yeah. I know a lot of people travel with two, and you know, which can be very strategic. Yeah. But I've I, I thought that in a lot of countries, like when you leave one and go to the other, they look for your exit stamp from the last country. Is that not always the case? Yep. There's um. Or is it? Do they are they okay that you like? Oh, it's in my other passport. I want to enter with this one. Like how does that how does that work at the border with immigration? So far, how I've been doing it is, I'll usually just use the one to go into one place and out the other. So I have to be really strategic about that, just because I don't really want to be pulling out two passports. Um, so yeah, coming into here. Also, with the Thai passport, it's a bit harder to get visas for certain places. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, in Japan, I enter on a Thai passport is 15 days only on visa on arrival. If I go for New Zealand passport, it's three months. So Big difference. Very big difference. And for working holidays, especially like Thailand has very little, if not any at all. Um, and New Zealand has a copious amount and I think with, for the ties and for the whole outlook on it is for the government I'll probably get pinged for this as well they want sort of the working class kids like between 20, 30, 35 what not when the working holiday is open mm -hmm. they don't want those those guys to be leaving the country and finding out other places to earn money and probably fall in love with the idea of doing it elsewhere in the world. Yeah. And that's probably why there's not many working holiday opportunities for Thai passport holders, mm -hmm. which sucks, man. Yeah, that's interesting. I would never would have thought of it as being coming from, you know, the home countryside. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's the government's... I guess economical outlook on progression yeah 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 it's interesting I guess there's two ways to look at it because I mean when you think about it a lot of political or um, politicians you know their goal is to do what's best for their own country's interests and so mm. for them they most probably, of them <laughs> yeah yeah I mean they should be that's the, that's the idea the theory behind it but I guess like you know in their some of their eyes like it's you know keeping the keeping the workforce there keeping the people there where others might see it as you know like no send them abroad mm. let them expand their horizons and then hopefully they come back and bring more different creativity ideas and, yeah. and ideas back yeah that's yeah. how i see it man at the very least like you shouldn't restrict opportunity i think no so hopefully it's not especially good. not for future generations where that's where your the future in your country lies you know yeah if you can expand their knowledge and make them into a more effective I guess citizen let them travel let them experience like if I didn't go to New Zealand I wouldn't be here talking to you yeah you know I wouldn't have this opportunity to travel around and gallivanting around the world and stuff like that no way
And you and you said that you so you dropped out of school at fifteen. Yep. Right. And you said that you kind of got into trouble, then you went into the military. Before, yeah, before I joined up, after I dropped out of school, I was working in the restaurant and just got into sort of drug and what drugs and whatnot, um, dealing, manufacturing, and then I sort of, while doing that, I saw, I guess, what happens in that sort of lifestyle, seeing people arrested, seeing people swindled seeing people get hurt there's a dog there now there's a dog here yeah. there's dogs howling and now Hello. we got a dog crying go ahead lay down lay down <laughs> chill out listen yeah, to the out, waves yeah. there you go that's not on my foot so <laughs> the dog's on the beach yeah we're having this there he is and there he goes oh she can't tell that's the great part about having this on the beach you just never know what's going to come up in the conversation literally literally Go ahead, calm Say down, hello. Say yeah. Hello. Sit down. What's your name? Oh, there's two. Yeah, there's two, and I'm sure there's more to come. Yeah, and they're going to start a turf war. Yeah, I know. We've, I was uh, <laughs> telling you earlier about, so we've been driving around Sri Lanka and it took to camping out on the beaches, and the last couple of nights we've had some interesting experiences with the dogs on the beach and getting in fights on top of our tent causing the tent to be ripped open and it is not my tent it is a borrowed tent so the beach dogs have me a bit nervous because at night time you just never know what's going to go down out here this one seems friendly yeah what makes me nervous is he, he came up or he she came up crying at the yeah. howling of the other ones like protect me <laughs> and this one's just waiting there are you gonna attack this one let's not let's not be naughty kids yes Let's be civilized dogs and chill out, eh? At Waligama, or, uh, yeah, the last beach, they uh, said that a lot of the problems arise because there's 10 males and yeah. only one female. <laughs> the competition is ripe. Isn't that also true for clubs and stuff for us? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's why they have ladies' night. They like, get as many girls in the door as possible because the men will just come. Yeah. If there's girls there, then they know that the guys will come. Yeah. So you went into the military. When did you... When did you get the idea to start traveling? Then? Damn. Um, this would have been... I would say... So, I've been traveling for three years. I would have had that idea five years ago. How's it going? Uh, hello. 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 <laughs> now we got a random yeah. Sri Lankan man in... Uh, yeah. And, uh, Soon we're going to have a bit of a party here. Yeah, trying yeah. to check out what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was definitely five years ago. Um, that's like probably a year after I left the military. Because mm -hmm. I only wanted to do five years in the military and then get out and move on. Also, you know, give my brother a little bit of a inspiration that his big brother is not some drug dealer getting through life. He's actually an upstanding, all right dude. I sort of set the example of what not to be. Yeah. And I think it worked out really well. <laughs> <laughs> How is your relationship with your brother now? Ah, really awesome, man. He's back in New Zealand studying jazz and commerce. Actually, like my first traveling trip was with him and I just said before he started university, 
bro, let's just pack our stuff and go travel through Thailand for a month just because he's never actually grown up there or seen his home, pardon me, seen his home country. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool. Like if, if you think because your siblings you have this already deep bond and nothing can, I guess, uh, amplify that, fuck man, traveling with him through Thailand together just really deepened that bond more. It was actually really great. That's beautiful. Yeah. Was it, I guess, now that you have more travel experiences with other people, I mean, how did it compare traveling with a brother compared to traveling with, like, a friend or someone that you meet on the road? Was yeah. it? Was there a lot of, like, you know, battles of the minds, or was it pretty smooth sailing? It was pretty smooth sailing, man. I, I guess in, in the sense that I'm the older brother by about six years, I guess I have more say. <laughs> but then, then again, I tried to give him the opportunity to be like, so, man, pick a few spots. What do you want to do? But most of the time, he just goes with my instinct and, yeah. Do you both speak Thai? Uh, me more so than he does. Yeah. But when I try to talk to him, most of the time it'll be in English. Yeah. But I can, I'll try and put in a bit of Thai. Even I myself have to practice a bit of Thai. I'll call up um, my cousin and I just, the first thing I'll say to her is like, I need to get some practice and <laughs> you, you down for a talk? And she's like, yeah. And then literally it'll be an hour, an hour and a half conversation. But you know, I do it every, every often, oh, once a month or something like that. Does your, uh, does your mom, do you guys speak to, Thai to your mom in the yeah, house? Yeah, definitely, okay. yeah. So you guys grew up speaking in the house then? Yep. Okay. Did she did she know English before she moved to New Zealand or? Very little as well. Like, it was actually really brave of her to just pick us up and then say let's go there. Especially after her and my stepdad fell apart after three years in New Zealand, we sort of moved out and then, yeah, single Thai lady with little English, trying to raise two kids in New Zealand, dude. Not the not the fucking easiest thing to do. Oh no, not at all. Yeah, and you're a brave woman for that, and fuck, I'm really grateful to her. Like, really grateful. Did uh, so how long did she st- she just moved back to Thailand, or is she still in? Yeah, New Zealand? just just last year she moved back, and before that she hasn't been home for ten years. Oh wow! Just trying to, I guess, hold us together and take us through to life as adolescents. Was she excited to go back home? I would say so, yeah. yeah. The first photo she sent to me was at the airport. You know those little walking escalators? Yeah. Yeah, she was on that with her suitcase next to my grandma or her mum. And back when I saw that picture, man, just there's so much happiness just came into me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, she's finally home and she's with her mum. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Have you been to Thailand since she went back? Uh, not yet. So actually, at the end of this year, I'll be going back. And it was actually my brother's idea. He texted me one day, I think I was in Singapore, and he was like, dude, um, I'm going to get a part-time job. I'm going to work and save up some money. You're not going to pay for anything. I want to 
do this on my own and I want to go back to Thailand this year, end of this year. And I said, fuck, sweet ass, I'll see you there. <laughs> and it'll actually be the first time all three of us are back in Thailand together in the last 10 years. That's beautiful. So, yeah, That's really, really, great really looking forward to it. So you took your first trip was with your brother. Yeah. And, um, then, and uh, is that what got you going? I mean, because Thailand was somewhat, it was a home, it was a home before New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and so was it that travel experience, though, that got you going, like, I want to do more, more countries? Oh, no, I, I had that thought, as I said, five years ago, and I started off again. I went to Thailand, and then some things popped up at home, and then I had to go back and sort things out, get settled in again, work through some few things, and then after t- doing that for two years, I headed out again. So... Thailand was always going to be my starting point and um, from that I'll just work through it and go through different places. And you said you've been gone now for two years? Three years now. Three years now? Yeah. So what's your path been? Where have you been and how have you been sustaining yourself <laughs> on the road? So it would have been, as I said, I started off in Thailand and then I moved towards after my brother left moved towards Vietnam, Laos, Malaysia, just going fucking back and forth, (laughs) (laughs) now that I think about it. Um, And then from Malaysia, I was gonna go in, oh sorry, when I was in Vietnam, a friend of mine just called me up to go work in that restaurant in New South Wales, just for the Easter period, just to help them out for a bit. So. I stopped my my travels then and then just jumped over and jumped on that ship to help them out and yeah if I didn't take on that opportunity I wouldn't have met this dude that was doing really good things with Australian cuisine mm-hmm. so that's sort of that's how I sustain it pretty much is while I travel through I pick little places to work at so were you working in like Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos? You... No, those sort of destinations as I am here in Sri Lanka is literally just to travel, experience the culture, eat the food, take notes obviously, always mm. taking notes with what they cook and study into their little history on how their food got to be what it is. Um, and then yeah, went back to Vietnam after that. And then on my way back to Australia, I was going to go to Melbourne. I've always wanted to go work there. Mm-hmm. And these two dudes I was working with in on a vineyard in New Zealand were in Indonesia. And they're like, they'd come over and join us. And I was like, fuck yeah, um, let me check my bank account. <laughs> I had enough to be there for a week. I spent a month there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, making it work. Was, did you have any specific techniques or opportunities that allowed you to turn a week into a month? Uh, <laughs> definitely uh, living very cheaply. But it's, I've always got this little side money for when I get to the destination in which I'm going to work at, just to get settled in into a house pay for the first month of whatever mm-hmm. and um, I was tapping into that 
That's that's okay. what I was doing. Stealing funds. <laughs> yeah, stealing funds from my own pocket. And literally I'm doing the same again this time. So oh man, I've been so fucking lucky now that I think about it. <laughs> so I was in Indonesia in Indonesia for that month and I loved every every day of it man. And like I had some of the best experiences like after the first week, you know. Mm-hmm. So if I wasn't there again, it's just I wouldn't have seen and done that stuff. Uh, in my last week of it, I sort of I had this girl that I lived with in New Zealand for a year. She was actually in Melbourne, so I texted her and I was like, "Hey, how are you? <laughs> um, do you have a couch you can provide with me for like a couple of weeks so I can settle in?" And she just said, "Yeah, fuck yes." just come over oh, got great. a place for you and yeah just how I facilitate that is cook dinner for them and stuff like that yeah yeah find ways to contribute pretty much and again on this trip like I didn't need two weeks in Singapore but I spent a lot of money there <laughs> and then coming to Sri Lanka and as I told you I'm gonna be heading to India next yeah and that wasn't on the books so I'll probably be grabbing for my Norway funds <laughs> um, it's actually depleting but hey because I came to Sri Lanka I met this dude from Oslo where I'm gonna be going and you know he's, he's we, we really hit it off and he's a really cool guy and I told him what I'm what I, what I was up to after the, um, Sri Lanka and India and he said man just let me talk to a few friends, but I'm pretty sure I can sort you out with a place to stay, even for a couple of weeks. If you need a bit of work, they can probably do that for you as well before you get into a restaurant. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing lucky. how things just work out, man. Yeah, man. But it's, you know, it's you're putting those vibes out there. You're taking those chances, and yeah. uh, you know, it's coming back to you full circle. Pretty much, it. good karma, right? Eh? Yeah. It's just be a good can, and you'll be alright. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad to see that you're not afraid to take those chances. Yeah, I think it's those chances that makes things a lot more exciting when you travel. Yeah. If if you think, you, if you feel you have this gut feeling and you feel that it's right, your instinct is just telling you, just go do it, you'll be alright. And it just shows you too, like, that usually there's always a way you can make it work. You know, yeah. if you have a good opportunity, take it. And, yeah. and things will fall into place or you will... You will make you will be forced to become more resourceful, and you'll find a way to make it work. Definitely. So you only you've done a work. So you did a working holiday visa in Australia. No, I had a New Zealand passport in Australia, so it's pretty easy there. So do you not you can New Zealanders work in Australia? Yeah. Ah, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's like as I said, um, European Union where you can just go around, but oh, it's okay. just New Zealand and Australia together. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So it will Norway be your first working visa? Pretty much, man. So how do you pick it? No, how do you how do you um, how do you save? Like, what lifestyle um, routines do you have that allows you to save for you know those those trips after after you get done working? Like, so after after when you're living on working in Australia, and mm-hmm. likewise when you go to Norway. I mean, how do you how do you at work live and then also save up for your next trip? Um, damn. So, 
I have this, not a timeline, but I sort of tell myself, okay, by around this time, next year or in a couple of months, I try to have like six to nine months working and then the rest traveling until I get to the next spot, however long that might be. Um, and while I'm living there for those couple of months, I, use, I do save. But not to the point where I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to go see people. I'm not going to experience the country I'm in. I'm just going to save money. I don't do that. I, I save what I can. And I also go out and enjoy myself and have fun. Yeah. And whatever funds I end up saving is sort of what dictates the path I take while I get to the next country. And yeah, it's worked out so far. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, I've never one to be like, oh, I want to go to this one, to this one, and then to that one, and then to that one, and then get to this country in the short amount of time with the whatever, how much money I have. I go and I spend at least a month there, at, let's say here in Sri Lanka. Yeah, it's, it's how I travel. I just let whatever I make dictate on how much I move around and you travel pretty cheaply I know you said that you have a hammock that you've thrown up a few places here is that typical are you typically trying to grind it out when you travel or what kind of I know that luxuries do you are you willing to compromise on I, I don't mind luxury at all and I don't mind spending up let's say when I was in Singapore there's plenty of Michelin star restaurants there really good food and I'll go and splurge on that you know I love I love food, I love wine, I love beers. Um, food and wine together, is, you can't beat it. Mm -hmm. And Any combinations in particular that you stand out to you that make you quiver when you think about them? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's so many, I can't even put them together, but it's just the fact that you, you're in this setting where this chef, whoever it might be, is just putting out his soul onto a plate. If you think about it in another perspective, um, let's say there's an artist and they want to do an exhibition, open a gallery that showcases all of their work. They're pretty much making themselves naked to, like, for you to see into their creation, their inspiration, their expression, you know. That's, that's what an exhibition is and in a sense that's what you see on a plate in a restaurant it's the chef showcasing what what he can do and it's up for criticism you know mm -hmm. and yeah just to be in that environment and to experience that it's, it's, I don't mind spending money on it um, going around here local buses definitely if I can walk there, I will. I think I was in Ella and I went into, I found this place called Tomorrowland. If anyone goes to Ella, go there. It's a very <laughs> unique, unique hostel. I loved it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, walked, I walked there actually. It was six kilometers from the train station. And yeah, I was just like, fuck it, I'm going to just walk there and not take a tuk-tuk. <laughs> <laughs> I just started walking and I was like, yeah, I'll just, 
I'll keep going with it. The funny thing is, too, you know, it's when you tell people that, like, back home, mm. and then you tell them, like, how much a tuk-tuk would have cost, you're like, what the hell, man? Like, that's nothing. Why mm. would you Why would you just take the tuk-tuk, save the time? But, you know, when you're on a long-term trip, those little expenses add up over time, you know? Oh, definitely. And also, like, it's actually nice walking, you know? You get yeah. to see it from another perspective, and you get to interact with it, with people and places Definitely. along the way so. and you get the eyes that people think you're crazy <laughs> yeah, like, yeah exactly this guy's just sweating his ass off trying to walk in 35 degree heat when there's a perfectly operating tuk-tuk or bust <laughs> yeah. to, to take him to the destination what's he thinking <laughs> there's five tuk-tuk drivers that offer to give you a ride there yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. i was curious um you know just because you know, we went and ate at a local place a night, 250 rupees, which, you know, in the U.S. is a, a dollar sixty-six. Yep. You know, got a had a feast. I was just curious, you know, what kind of a balance you strike or what you're willing to splurge on while traveling when it comes to food, since that is your passion. Mm. You know, I didn't know, you know, if you still limited yourself to sampling like I guess the common man cuisine, or if you still went out and splurged and and we're willing to treat yourself it, it depends what the country offers i guess like here i don't think there's any fancy restaurant here or mm-hmm. not yet anyway i'm sure one day a really mean really inspired sri lankan chef is going to be like i'm going to turn sri lankan food into fine dining and when that dude does that i'm going to definitely come back here and try it out but at the moment yeah local common people food is the way to go and yeah the traditional stuff and sometimes i'll go out of my way to just walk around and escape the places where you see a lot of tourists and walk into a place where the locals actually go there and eat and those are sometimes the best meals to have i agree even for lunch today um I walked from here towards Weligama. Um, it would have been probably three kilometers. And then I stumbled upon this little place where, again, Sri Lankan working men, women go and eat lunch. 200 rupees, really good meal. Asked if I wanted a second helping for no extra charge, little things like that. You're gonna find if you take that approach into how you spend your money here. Is there anything that you won't eat? Like, is there, like, when you go to places, is, are there th- limits that you just won't try it? Mm. I have to say, so far, I haven't found anything I wouldn't try. Um, and also, in saying that, I have the approach of try anything once. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you actually won't know till you try it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but it's yeah, so like far there's not been an inc- a thing I won't eat yet. I've seen you know pictures. I think in China they have like actual proper egg fetuses. You know where they you break open the egg and there's actually like a, a baby chicken there. You know, yeah. and they they eat those. Um, you can get uh, scorpions on a stick. Um, let's see what else. Uh, a guy from, I believe, Sweden was telling me about, I can't remember which Southeast Asian country it was, but he was on, like, a jungle safari, and they were in, like, a, a region with, like, a, a very rural region, and they had 
a soup made from so what they did was they they would kill the cow right before it was had to take a shit yeah and so and then they would use the, what was inside the intestines in the bladder yeah it like in the bladder as and create like a soup or a stew out of it and stuff because it wasn't actually excrement yet because mm. it was still inside the body and that was like kind of like a delicacy and stuff and he tried like a bite of it and stuff so like do things like that do those interest you or put me off yeah, or like you, I mean, do you have any interest in in experiencing that type of cuisine, or is oh, that just more for like the shock value? No, yeah. no, definitely, yeah. I wanna, I, I do wanna try that, and that's the thing. Like with food itself, if there's if there wasn't experiments like that, or people willing to just be brave and try things like that, you wouldn't get what cuisine you have to this day. Yeah, you know, who would have thought? Oh, this egg dropped out of this chicken way back in the day let's see what we can do with this egg and egg is one of my favorite ingredients man mine as well you know fried egg omelet cake a thickening agent for sauces possibilities are endless yeah and yeah if if there wasn't this mind that goes "Ooh, what is that you wouldn't have what you have today and yeah definitely wherever this bloody Calfisi pre pre calfisi <laughs> supers, I'll definitely you try want, that. You want some of that? I want stew. some of that. <laughs> <laughs> the pre shit stew. Yeah, yeah. Scorpions on a stick. That's easy. I've I've had that. Um, insects in Thailand, you know. Yeah. It's actually probably a really sustainable way of eating, to be honest, because it's a really easy if you cultivate it and you you grow them and stuff like that it's a very easy source of protein yeah cricket powder is becoming yeah. real popular in the world these days they i think the un put out a report um that highlighted the fact that you know insect farms and insects or like commercializing the idea of eating insects could prevent could stop world hunger yeah you know it's it's a very sustainable very rich in nutrients and proteins and yeah once you just get past the taboo of it there's nothing to it yeah i think we can easily end world hunger to be honest just all those people who have so much money to let go of what they don't need which can be billions of dollars and just actually work with that money and you know put something towards the world to make it a better place for everyone. World hunger is an easy thing to end. Well, Hope, hopefully, I'll, there's. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but uh, a lot of some of the top biggest billionaires are signing up to like the 99% club, and that's where they have promised to give up 99% of their wealth yeah. when they die and dedicate it to like nonprofit organizations or foundations that are looking to, you know make do a lot of good in the world and stuff which is why when they die though you know i don't i mean i guess it's I guess <laughs> so they can live with that wealth well I, I guess for a lot of them it's um a lot of it's not liquid i think yeah and, you know it's tied up in stocks and stuff in yeah. their companies that they yeah. built yeah is Fair from enough. my understanding and then i guess it's also the idea that with that wealth they can actually increase it which just means that they're giving away more at the end of it that makes sense yeah Yeah. i mean i guess that there's different ways of justifying different things but yeah that's probably some of the principles but 
fair enough, fair point, bro. <laughs> I just would like to see the result and yeah, keep, oh yeah. keep on top of it. If I was if I was that dude, you know, just yeah. see it, be consistent with it, keep on top of it, and actually see it improve and see it grow into something better. That's that's how I would look at it. I know a but lot yeah. of a lot of those people that have committed also have big foundations that um, like Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett and stuff that they have that they contribute to now. But yeah, it would be hard you know, not to want to see the effects of of contributing their wealth. Yeah. Do you have you had any really bad experiences while traveling, like with food? Are there any things that just really that really stand out to you that just made you squirm, made you uncomfortable, just you just didn't like? No, no, not no. at all. I, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be vague or anything. It's just I haven't had that experience yet. Is there anything you wouldn't try twice? No. No. <laughs> no as I said, not yet. I, I, there's so much more I have to see in the world. I still like Africa would be very interesting. Yeah. You know what food they eat there I mean Ethiopian food is delicious but there's also the really obscure tribal places that um, I haven't been to and I wouldn't know till I get there the the dude you read the book from um, Kitchen Confidential Anthony Bourdain yes I love his job <laughs> yeah right isn't that isn't that the the goal <laughs> yeah man and that's what he's done you know he's gone around I think that was the book too that kind of set him off and really got him on the path that he's on now. Yep. And I, you know, I've my service industry experience is being a host at Olive Garden, yeah. which is a faux Italian restaurant in the U.S. Yes, yeah. I said it. It's a faux Italian restaurant, <laughs> Americans. Um, but uh, I really wanted to be a server because I wanted to have that service industry experience, but yeah. I didn't have any experience, so I couldn't get the job. Um, but yeah, I found the book hilarious and fascinating to see yeah. that side of it. And it definitely comes from like the big city New York um, version of uh, the service industry, which I think thought was really interesting. But yeah. uh, definitely gives you a new appreciation for for all that the people who work in those industries. Definitely. And back in those days, it would have been a harder time as well. I mean, it's still a hard time this day. But those guys would have had it worse for sure. You know, I've been in kitchens where, again, it's been really militarized and a lot of shouting and yelling and stuff like that, getting shit thrown at me. But in a sense, that's also a way for growth as well. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be dancing in the kitchen like I am now unless I had that experience of that one dude who was pushing me to my limits. That's good. You can uh, attribute that back to a, a teacher. Yeah. No, and, he and was And turn right. something that might have been really miserable at the time into a positive reflection now. Yeah. Like, I wasn't even... Uh, I was uh, not miserable, but really beaten down. But I guess it's when you go through those times where you really have to pick yourself up and choose to be better where you can shine. And that the guy that did that to me, man, like he was a pretty fair dude, you know. 
once he got me up to the the standard he wanted me to be at, we really did work together well and got along where to the point where we'll be in the middle of service and then like it's pretty busy but then you know I've set myself up and gotten myself into a really good flow where in the middle of service we can just look at the docket and be like bro we got f he'll he'll come up to me and like just say from down the line bro we got five minutes before we have to do something smoko and I was like fuck yeah and we'll just go out, have a quick drag, three minutes, come back in, wash our hands, back into it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Progression, man, is you just got to really take it on board and go through and shine and, yeah, come out better. Are there any international dishes that have really stood out to you that really left a mark on you that you've tried in your travels? Definitely Vietnamese pho. Of course. Why do you um, say of course? What is it about Vietnamese pho? Just the, the soap, the love put into the noodles, um, meat, vegetables, it's, it all melts together, like the, the chili they put in it, if, yeah, that they give to you to put in, and a little squeeze of lime if you want to, just to freshen up the taste. Ban mi, you'd know what that is. What is it? Ban mi. Ban mi. Ban mi is a Vietnamese baguette, the Vietnamese roll. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If the French hadn't occupied that place, there'd be no no baguettes. That's, that's one, yeah. no pate that yeah. they would use to put in the baguette. Little influences like that, you know. Uh, here in Sri Lanka, rice and curry. It's a really, you know, it's just, it says rice and curry. You <laughs> yeah. go to restaurants, you, you go to side street, beaten down looking dive bar, hole, whatever you want to call it. And there's rice and curry everywhere. Yeah, actually, it was really funny after coming from India. And, you know, when you get rice and curry or uh, chapati and curry or roti and curry, like, I mean, you're used to just having like one curry like a big yeah. bowl of like a gravy thick yep. curry with yep. with the, the rice or the chapati and and then so here like i had had the rice and curry and i didn't even know it because yeah. it was like four different like little dishes little with components like either to go noodles or rice, rice yep. or yeah and then i'm like yeah everyone's like do you like the rice and curry and i'm like i don't think i've had it yet and i've like i've had this this and this and like oh, that's the rice and curry i'm like Oh, yeah. It just was just different. I don't know. I, I completely blew my mind because it was. I thought it would be more similar mm. to like the, uh, the the curry you get in India, but yeah. it wasn't. Like yeah, like I, I would say rice and curry. Before I actually came to Sri Lanka, I had the same thought. Or you know, I'd be used to let's say rice and Thai curry. Yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah, that the rice and curry here is amazing because each different establishment cook chef whatever has their own take on it you never have the same rice and curry it's like a box of chocolates yeah. you never know what you're <laughs> gonna get <laughs> you know you're gonna get dal yeah you know you're gonna get dal that's the one but it. yeah it's, they that's all taste chocolate different. with that weird yeah. orange cream <laughs> filling inside you're like no i actually really love the dal here yeah, but oh yeah yes. it is it is the one constant for sure yeah I think it's it's the probably really sus sustainable, cheap, 
ingredient they can use is literally water, the dal, yeah. turmeric powder, probably some coconut cream if they want to put it in there, bit of salt. That's the most simple version of it. Yeah. Bit bit of curry leaf just to oomph it up a bit, chili, whatever, whatnot. But yeah, the rice and curry here is pretty inspiring to be like eating it at different places and seeing how everyone interprets it differently. What makes it hard though, and even like I found this in India with like the chapati or the roti, which something so basic, you know, it's hard to be like, yeah, when you go home and you go to Indian restaurants, it's hard to be like, yeah, this is like, this is just like in India, this is traditional because even there, even in India, you know, you can get it super thin, thick, mm. you can get it cooked in the tandoori, you can get it not, you know, and there's just so many different ways from different, even the same city, especially for different regions that yeah. it's like, I don't, I don't know what the traditional way is because there's so many different ways it's done. Yeah. But I guess that's the fun of it too, is that, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm looking for like a specific archetype that I can use to judge all future rotis or rice and curries and stuff. Yeah, but you yeah. know what? It's just the world's more complex than that. It is. People is what dictates the change and the the differences. It's, it's their minds. It's their how how they want to do it. You know how yeah. they like it or how they think the people will like it. And yeah. You're not. You're just not going to get the same, and that's the whole beauty of it. As you said, the world is complex, and this world is complex because the people make it so, and it's great. And the food reflects it. Yeah. Do you have you noticed while traveling? I mean, especially since you're so interested in like the philosophy behind a nation's cuisine. I mean, is there a reflection? a deeper reflection on the society, on the culture that you can see in the food after you've been somewhere for a while and you've been trying the foods and you start to understand a little bit more about how the societies and the cultures work, like, do you start to see, like, where their inspiration, where their, the food, the inspiration for the food comes from? Oh, yeah, it's really simple. It's the ingredients available to them. What's available on this land that provides them with sustenance? You know, we're down here by the coastline. There's fish drying just a couple of meters away from us, just stinking out the whole street. <laughs> um, that, it's better than the raw sewage. Yeah, <laughs> that that alone develops into what we have in each country, and also again from what I guess colon colonial age introduced into their country mm -hmm. like for here you, you see a lot of baked goods cakes like the English was here the Dutch was here cake and the uh, cup of tea and cake it's still predominant here after they've left it's it's the whole whole history of it is yeah you look into it and you will see how they've devolved around it because without food there'll be fucking starving people and then when people stuff, they die, and then there'll be no civilization. So, if you, yeah, it, it was goes way back. Yeah, it was interesting. I didn't even realize it um, until I met this, as in Pushkar in India. And, you know, because chai, chai tea is everywhere. And mm. You get it all mm. the time. And, and uh, in every hipster, bloody yes. coffee shops. Yeah, and it's spread around the world. <laughs> 
but uh, I didn't realize, you know, he, he was specialized in Ayurvedic tea, yeah. uh, chai tea, and he's like, yeah, this is the way it was made before the British came, mm. you know, and the British came and they brought tea leaves, black tea, um, which, you know, turned into chai with the masala and the milk and everything like that, but before that, like, there was no no chai, which is just exactly. weird for me as a traveler now, thinking of India without chai, because it is just such a part, it's just a staple yeah. in the lives of Indians. That's the thing, like trade and everything just brings in all these spices and ingredients that each place doesn't know of and then, you know, they incorporate that into their cuisine. Butter chicken and I think korma, I'm not, maybe not korma, I'm not too sure, but I know butter chicken was invented in England. Was or, it? Yeah. You know, that totally makes sense because it is one, it definitely seems like one of those dishes that is totally catered to Western, yeah. Western taste. And it's, it's actually really, really delicious. Yeah. Oh, I, I love it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've been eating a lot of the butter, butter paneer. Yeah. And it's butter paneer masala and it's, oh, I'm excited to go back and have some <laughs> of that. <laughs> I'm excited to go in a couple of days as well. I have to say one of my favorite dishes that I ended up having in Thailand, which yeah, it's hard to find in um, just any Thai restaurant in the States, mm. um, is khao soy. Yep. I love that curry. It's one of my favorites, if not my favorite curry. And um, it was funny because I had to end up going to a little restaurant that was kind of thinking more catered to foreigners in, in Chiang Mai. Yeah. And it was absolutely phenomenal. But I yeah. was you know seeking out, like, oh, what's the most traditional khao soy out there? So I went to, like... A few different like local joints around the city and ones I found in blogs and stuff like that and I had them and I was like it's still really good but I'm like yeah. nothing compared to that one that was specifically catered to like because they know yeah. how I taste it and I'm like you know what like the, tra- the traditional is not always better like sometimes no, you, there's certain flavor combinations that you're just used to yeah and, and which that's y- when I liked better I'll be honest yeah and that's also a thing like there's a there's a concept called taste memory where you you eat a certain food and it's not necessarily gonna be what uh, it might even be something you tasted completely new but it transports you back to a certain taste and time that you've experienced it before just any small similarity of it and yeah as you say traditional is not always best Maybe for a lot of ties it is. Yeah. And also that's also a bit of a downfall for a lot of cultures that just do things the same all the time. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I actually really, I really love places that do a little fusion um, yeah. with everything. Ch- challenge the status quo. Better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, take, take new inspirations and old ideas and combine them into something even better definitely and that's that's the end game uh, I want to really take on board when I gather up all this uh, all this experiences and knowledge that I you know fucking extracting yeah that I'm extracting through my travel and that's what I wanted to incorporate into the restaurant I'm going to open well I'm excited to uh, (laughs) to try what you have it's probably it, a lot of chefs that's doing that as well. Yeah, in but terms of, I mean, 
but yeah everyone has their own different ways of doing it and their own complexity of how to deliver it there's a thing no two chefs are gonna one have the same perspective yeah. on food and no two chefs are gonna have the same journey the same environments that they exactly they learned it from and i and think it's really cool that you know, you're using your travels as a way of you know like it like going back to you know you dropped out of school at 15 but you know your education doesn't stop there you are intentionally setting out on this incredible quest to educate yourself on the world's foods and develop your own curriculum really yeah and, pretty and much i love that i absolutely love that angle and i think that it's great when you can find use your find a passion to sustain your travels like yeah that. yeah drive it now this next question is a selfish one for me i actually you know it's i think that it's really nice to have a dish that you like you're known for you're good at like if you're going over to like a house party or something like that and being a lover of thai curry like i've really wanted that to be my thing and i start i started messing with like some yellow curry powder but i i actually really enjoy the green curry um i have a tendency to, as with all my dishes to try and put too much in too many vegetables too yeah. many different combinations because like i said i try to get too much in there yeah but um you know like i know like typically there's like just a few specific ingredients for like a yellow curry or a green mm. curry or a red curry um do you have any tips any techniques or any philosophies behind like a, a green curry that would something that you, you know, can you take can, on board yeah, and give it a go board, yeah and like it's something to experiment with a, a place to start from definitely man um get a mortar and pestle make your own paste what, just, what typically consists in like a green curry like what actually goes into the paste do you, do you know offhand or if not I can a small up, bit of it um, definitely you have to look into it can't remember it all but there's definitely depending on how you want to make it like there's definitely basil in it sugar garlic galango or lesser ginger you could use ginger mm -hmm. um, won't get the same earthiness though and if you want you can use shrimp paste in it okay yeah it's, it's up to interpretation because literally every like let's say a spice curry shop vendors you go to have their own specific mix of paste so create your own just go through the basic and look at the basic ingredient and then see what you can incorporate into that to your own taste buds to mm -hmm. to cater to you or who you're cooking it for start with that make your own paste and as to what to put in it man um, you can put all kinds of vegetables in it it's up to you the best thing to do is to eat that vegetable and sort of get a feel of how much sweetness or what sort of flavor it's going to impart into your end curry, like into the end product. Experiment with that. And that's, that's, that's all it is to get to that specialty you want to put on the table for the people you love. You just got to go through all these little process. And that's how all great dishes are made. It's just through experience, oh, experimenting and failures and 
tweaking and then you get this one thing that really is going to stand out. Two areas that I've really struggled with are finding the balance mm. you know, with the spice and the sweet. Um, I've, I've read that you can use like anything from like a pineapple juice or like a brown sugar yeah. to balance out the spiciness. Use, use palm sugar. Palm sugar? Yep. Palm sugar would be the go-to to get that sweetness in there. Use fish sauce a l instead of salt. Use a little bit of salt, but mostly fish sauce mm -hmm. because there's that that taste, that umami. You've heard of that word probably? I've heard of it. I yeah. have no idea what it means. Um, look into that, man. Okay. It's going to open up a whole new fucking world for you. Okay. Study umami and you're going to understand sort of what makes you want to go for that second helping and <laughs> second <laughs> or third yeah yeah and you know, texture i mean as far as the base goes i mean i whenever i use just coconut milk mm. it's always too thin so i i've tried using coconut cream yeah which just makes seems like gluttonous i don't know if that's uh, a profound because I, I want it thicker but mine always comes out really watery yep there's the the fucking the most thing people go wrong when cooking is you don't allow time the the best stock the best gravy the best curry laksa whatever it's all about time you just let that simmer and reduce slowly tenderly and you're gonna one cook out more spices so that it really improves the flavor and also reduce it to the thickness you want Again, you have to experiment with how much time you have. So, would I like cook it at a lower heat for a longer period of time? Yeah. You you don't add anything else to it to thicken it up, but there's. I mean, is, you don't do you have use to. coconut cream? Um, I or use fifty fifty. Fifty fifty. There's there's that little tip for you. Fifty but so fifty fifty cream, fifty fifty milk. Yeah, and again, you just just let time do do its yeah. thing. Um, also, f for vegetable. Each vegetable cooks differently. How thick or how thin you cut it makes it cook differently. Yeah, that's always frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, it comes. It comes with just one soggy and one's not done. And exactly. You're like, Damn it. So you really want to add it in a bit at a time. So if you have your paste, cook that paste out first in a bit of oil. Okay. And then add your coconut cream in it or whatnot. You can even alternatively cook the paste fry that off with the meat so it caramelizes um, caramel with the meat and imparts the paste onto the meat as well there's so many different ways man sounds I wish I could just <laughs> go into a kitchen with you and and fucking we can we'll have, we'll have to do you. that sometime <laughs> somewhere sometime yeah, I'd love that definitely yeah but man just make your own paste and start from there dude all right. I have faith in you. I really want to invest in a mortar and pestle, so I yeah. think that'd be, you know, it's, you know, ultimately once I get my tiny house built and everything, yep. like I want to have the time to do things like that yeah. and like in an experiment in the kitchen. Cause I love yeah. cooking, I love eating, and I think it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a great way to kind of bond with people as well. So. Yeah, that's definitely one one equipment you want to have at home. It's so great. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely, I want to become more conscious while I'm traveling, too, about the cuisine and the inspiration behind it as well. It's something I aspire to because 
I love traveling and eating. That's one of my favorite things. Yeah, about I think that's that's a lot of travelers thing just yeah. to eat. Yeah. Yeah. But you definitely, you know, being more conscious and deliberate with it, which I find with everything, like you start to appreciate it even more when you realize all the little subtleties and the history and and um, the inspiration behind it. And so hopefully I can bring that the awareness I'm trying to bring to other aspects of my life into that aspect while I'm traveling too and, and start to appreciate those those little things that you miss out on otherwise. Well, you're still enjoying the eating it, but yeah, uh, yeah I can at least appreciate a little bit more like yeah. the, all the centuries that led up to that moment and got it to where, where it is, where it yeah, is and where I'm enjoying it. Man, also go go see people that grow it, you know. Yeah. The the thing a lot of guys forget is that there's this thing called mise en place. It's a French word for preparation. And that mise en place, that preparation, doesn't start in the kitchen. Before it goes into that restaurant, before it goes through that loading loading bay, whatever. It came from the ground. It came from the the people that drove it there. It, I'll just go back chronologically now. I've <laughs> been getting everywhere. It goes on the people that delivered it. You trace that back. It goes to the people that grew it. You know that sold the seeds. Yeah. It, it's a very big long process. And once you appreciate that, you're just yeah you're, you're gonna see. Uh, you're going to open up a lot more conscious consciousness with when you eat and when you travel that brings up another like concept as well as i you know i you know, a lot of cultures here eat with their hands yep. a lot of people here with their hands in sri lanka india and just in general i find that you know in a lot of places especially out i'm speaking from you know an american's perspective but yep. they're a lot more in touch with like their food and where it came from and there's a lot more awareness about it, a lot more appreciation and yeah. you know like and even like just something as simple as eating with your hand instead of like with a fork mm. you know like brings them closer to it and uh you know i just feel like there's such a huge disconnect these days especially in the states where you know you go in and you have a million choices and you have um you know like everything's just pre-packaged ready to go there's just yeah. a dis- huge disconnect of like where it came from and yeah. I, I think it might be changing more like there's a, like there's a, a little real movement. pretentious yeah. hipster foodie culture that's coming up that you know is making people more aware of it but and at the same I time like it's a it's that circle of you know we lost touch with it and now yeah. we're trying to find it again I think that goes hand in hand with a lot of things not only from food but like how we live and everything now and that's really cool to see as I meet and travel and see people and talk with them. A lot more people are actually becoming more aware of how things are. Mm-hmm. And they try to trace it back and try to pull away or pull from it some sort of knowledge from from all these things and try to make better for their future choices stuff like that yeah it's really cool yeah it's, it's definitely it's not just in food man it's it's everywhere people are just becoming more aware and think more I guess yeah it's interesting too like I was talking I've been talking to a few people on this trip um, 
you know, like traveling around India, especially like you realize like a lot of people, you know, really, you know, especially after seeing movies and stuff, really idolize or want um, certain Western values or ideas or lifestyles. Yeah. But then like you have a lot of people from the West coming to the east you know in search of like meaning and yoga and and meditation and these like eastern practices and it's just funny like you know seeing this cycle of like they want what we have we want what they've had yeah and and, uh you know like you find that in so many different aspects of life yeah look look at it this way let's say what does the west represent in general is progression I guess an individuality individuality making living standards more higher for people that's definitely I think that that sums it up somewhat mm-hmm. you know in how they've developed as uh, when you say Western culture that's what you see and if you look at the Eastern culture it's more deep set in speech spirituality um, just progressing through life trying to be more connected with um, whatever's around them at that moment in time do you get where I'm going? yeah yeah no idea yeah yeah Yeah. like with yoga meditation stuff like that and you see people idolizing one or the other going back and forth like that and fuck man if we just can really sort of put those two together yeah and trying to raise living standards to a better value and at the same time having that spiritual approach to it imagine what can what the future can hold for that oh. just getting really deep now but <laughs> <laughs> and balance is so elusive yeah balance but i think that's sort of at the moment where all this all these guys us just traveling through and experiencing all of this is where it's gonna end up like i'm gonna go to europe for the first time in my life and you know it's gonna just again open up a few new paths for me to really study and look into how they develop they're so rich in history as much as it is here that yeah hello Hello. Ah, my How's it eye. going? <laughs> Just having hey. a talk here. <laughs> Another guy on the Another beach with a flashlight. With yeah. a flashlight. Yeah. <laughs> Wondering what the hell's going on. <laughs> Imagine it's probably the same guy earlier, but he put a shirt on now. <laughs> all right, brother. I don't want to keep you out here all night. I appreciate so your good. time. But I do want to ask you a few last questions. Now, they're called rapid fire, but that means I'm supposed to not try and ask so many follow-up questions mm-hmm. but it uh, doesn't mean that you have to answer quick or short or anything like that you answer them however you want take your time sweet ass so these are just uh, some random questions to get to know you a little better so first if you could travel with anyone dead or alive who would it be and where would you go firstly Hong Kong. That's beautiful. That's simple. Yeah. <laughs> He's uh, Bruce Lee, one of your one of your idols. I love his philosophy, man. I really do. Actually, I want to add this into it, and it's one of my favorite quotes from him that 
really people should really look into. Um, he says, I fear not the man who's practiced 10,000 kicks once. I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. I think I've heard that quote before. Yeah, I really like that. And I, Bruce is the man. He is. Is he's just got that ancient, like timeless wisdom to him. Yeah, definitely. he's someone that I've really wanted to look into more because yeah. the few opportunities I've had to see his work and see his interviews and stuff, he's yeah. definitely an inspiring character. Yeah, definitely. Do you collect anything while traveling? Facebook friends? No. <laughs> 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 no. Um, I do have a little journal that I write down sort of, I guess, little interactions like this or what I have with locals everywhere now and then. I write that down. But as to what I carry, like physically, I have enough. <laughs> <laughs> carry everything with you, right? Pretty much. Yep. Just curious, what, what does your uh, packing situation look like? What are you doing? <laughs> um, so I'm living out of my bag literally and have been for some time now so I gotta think about where I go and a lot of people sort of buy it on the spot and stuff like that but I try not to buy so many new things all the time and sort of keep what I have that is necessary um, definitely here which is unnecessary is winter clothes uh, alpine sleeping bag which I'd have used before and did use actually when I was hammocking through Allah. Um, my chef knives, yeah, which that was interesting. weigh quite a bit. Uh, next to that is a sharpening stone, about 2 kg. <laughs> I love that. You actually have the <laughs> sharpening stone. Yeah. Is, uh, what kind of knives are they? Um, they're just really basic ones. Like I left sort of the more expensive, fancy ones back uh, with my brother, so I don't have to carry it because there is always that possibility that you're gonna lose your bag. This there, you know. Mm -hmm. So in there, I have uh, sort of a slicing knife, I guess, for carving for meats, whatever. Um, I have a utility knife, which is sort of like a chef's knife, where everything is versatile. Pretty much that's my one go-to one. A filleting knife for fish. A small turning knife for like quick little handwork with vegetables, whatnot. Um, and sort of an in-between appearing knife and utility knife knife. <laughs> a better way to put it is called a petty knife, which is sort of for the mid-range vegetable work. It's a, a kitty knife? A uh, petty. Okay. It's like a Japanese style vegetable knife. Um, also in there, a few tweezers, which I use in some places that need tweezers. What else is in there? Sharpening stone and a vegetable peeler. Very simple. Yeah. Not not too much. Simple but complex for a backpacking trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I go through airport security, they'll be like, what the fuck is this one? Yeah, what, what are you, Dexter? Are you butchering people? 
I do. What what size is your backpack? Uh so seventy five liter one. Seventy five liter is it full? Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. What else can I fit in there if I wanted to? I can probably fit a few more things in it, like maybe a few, one big jacket, let's say, would probably max it out. Yeah. Actually, when I came here, I got rid of a few more stuff as well. That's the thing. Um, you're going to go through and you're going to find yourself thinking, fuck, I've got so much things as you go through the years of doing this. Yeah. And you're going to start getting rid of more and more stuff. And I did that back in Unawatuna, just down the road from us. And it was a pair of, uh, I had a really nice dress shirt that I haven't worn, gave that away. Two more t-shirts that, you know, I didn't need, gave that away pair of jeans and trackies that I didn't need give that away a watch that I haven't worn in probably a long time just or it's actually pretty new I haven't worn it once <laughs> and I give that away just yeah really unnecessary and I'm probably gonna go through that phase again next year as I think about it more and just work with what I got yeah I I notice I go through that phase every time I go home from a backpacking trip yeah. after living was so little yeah um and living in your backpack you go back and you're like what the hell is all this other shit like what yeah. do i need this for yeah. and you just feel i feel so overwhelmed and i'm like it's just like a cleansing like meditative yeah. thing for me i had to go through and like deliberately be like all right i do not need this i do not yeah. use this i had this conversation with a brother actually a couple of days ago and um i it's a, a little video that they did like an experimental one where this dude was wearing a suit with money stuck on it uh-huh. and he had a sign that says take what you need oh yeah I've seen that video yeah. and you, you see all these guys in their suits and girls with their Dolce & Gabbana bags you know coming up and grabbing a whole lot of money from this guy's jacket one girl is like he, he asks her you've got a um, Louis Vuitton bag do you do you need this? And she's like, yeah, I've got my nail appointment tomorrow. And she took like $20 or whatnot. Um, then he went up to this homeless dude and you know, he was being so polite and be like, oh, is, is this for real? Can I take this? And he's like, yeah, grab what you need, man. And he's like, oh, I'll just grab $2 if that's okay. Um, just buy, buy something to eat. And that sh I should be okay with that. And yeah, that's all he took. And then the the guy that was doing the experiment was like, are you, are you serious? Like, you just need enough money for your next meal. You know, he had his dog there and everything. And he just gave him a bit more just to be like, you know, just spend that. Look after your yeah. meal after your next meal. Look after your dog's next meal. Just keep this and take it with you. And yeah, we were discussing about that video and I just was like, well, dude, man, seriously, minimalism teaches one humility you know oh yeah yeah there's so many so much to be learned from just simple practice definitely yeah i've seen that video it's it really is beautiful and like touching especially after seeing yeah the, there's a couple jerks in it they're like yeah. hey man <laughs> you said i could have it yeah do you need this no but i want it uh, yeah i'm gonna take it it's like seriously what do you wish you'd known before ever leaving the country forever leaving New Zealand on your first trip 
that I looked into how to get from the airport to the next accommodation. Because <laughs> that's like the only thing I will, like, that's how I start off my trip really is just find that one accommodation and just go with the flow after that. Yeah. But I never really look into how to get there. Y- you forget the, about that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that can be, and it's one of those things you get to the airport and it's like, you could just, you could just pay a taxi or a tuk-tuk to take you, but you don't know if you're getting ripped off. Yeah. You don't know if he's going to take you to the right spot. In, in a lot of places, you know, the place you pick to go stay at doesn't, it's not on the map. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. address, you go, you, when you get to India, you try and give them an address, like, it's like, good luck, unless there's like a really predominant feature somewhere yeah. nearby, yeah. like, <laughs> the addresses are just crazy. Yeah, there. I'm, I'm going to have a bit of fun with that. <laughs> What's the single most important item that you travel with that is under $50? My notebook that I write when it comes to food. Do you have any sources of, or specific sources of inspiration for travel or travel, culinary related travel item or topics um, like blogs, books, anything in particular? Uh, everything is in that notebook I mentioned earlier that I write in all the time. Um, I think that's the answer you're looking for, or did I get the question wrong? Um, I'm, I guess I'm looking for more, um, like if you're going to go somewhere, like you're going to go to Indonesia, you're going to go to Japan, um, do you do a lot of research or beforehand. anything beforehand? Like do you read books or look online or... Do you use travel books or anything like that? I actually used to, like, let's say my first year doing it. Um, Rough Guides was a really good one. But after a few more experiences with what I've had in the last few places I've visited, um, I can pretty much just go with what I find from the first place I stay at and take it from there. Just for example, like right here, I came into flying to Colombo, went into this little place in Mount Lavinia, met a few people that I'm going to go meet in India. And one of the dudes I met, this Dutch guy, I came down through here with him for like first two, three days, four days being together. And then after that, we parted ways and then I just kept going along with whatever path I was on just along the coast and then I decided oh let's go up yeah it's just I started out using a using a travel guide but now I just take it with each step that I that I um, get into I guess it's like Bruce Lee said you like water yeah <laughs> be adaptable yeah be like water what would you say is a common misconception about people from your country? And you can answer this from a New Zealand perspective or from a Thai perspective, whichever you prefer, whichever you identify with more. Probably the more obscured would be Thai people traveling. Like how often have you met a Thai dude traveling mm. outside of Thailand? No, not off the top of my head. Exactly. Um, I had this really cool, not cool, but interesting conversation with um, this French guy. And he traveled Thailand 
And I was like, oh, how, I, uh, how was that, man? Did you like it? Blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know what? I think Thai people should travel more and be more open-minded. And when he let that out, I, I didn't lose it, but I, w- I just went into a mode where I was like, okay, bro. <laughs> um, Realize that a lot of people there will never have the opportunity to do what you're doing and have that money to go around, have that passport to be able to travel into different places around the world. Um, and I guess the misconception or the thing I want, I guess, people to know is that, yeah, don't, don't think that everyone has this opportunity, especially those from a very different lifestyle from your own and yeah country of origin yeah it's definitely a very privileged yeah and when, thing to say yeah not under i mean especially being a traveler he should appreciate the fact that he comes from a place with a that you know is economically more wealthy like he has a better system or a yeah, system in more place opportunity that allows him to yeah opportunity to financially yeah. be able to fund his travels exactly. and a passport which I mean that alone is a huge huge barrier yes. to have a certain certain passport yeah and if, if you meet those people where you would say you know they've really worked their ass off to get there and um, from, a, from a place you wouldn't expect engage in conversation with those guys you know because oh, yeah, Cause, cause yeah that, that's someone really different that you've never really see a lot of and you know they're there to experience also what you want to as well while you travel and yeah just go up to them and fucking yeah yeah when you initially said that you were from thailand i was like i was like immediately super interested i was like wow like you were saying you've been to all these places i was like i'm just really? curious like how, how yeah, you yeah. do it you know because because i i, I also want you know this podcast to be an opportunity you know to find those people who are able to find a way and obviously i know it's not e- it wouldn't it's not easy but nah. you know it's there are opportunities that you know i'm not aware of and yeah. probably a lot most people aren't aware of and you know just like showing that there is a path or an opportunity no matter how hard would is great like when there is one you know and so finding those people who have found that way is is uh, hopefully yeah it, it's they're gonna provide that there's a bit more backstory to it for sure yeah yeah that's that's always surprising when you hear hear that kind of comment and I even struggle with the fact that you know being a traveler and being so passionate about travel I wish everybody in the world had the same opportunity oh, I'm in the same mind man but at the really same time the same it, it creates this catch-22 of you know if if everybody in the world was out traveling like I am, then there would be no culture at the location that I go to for me to, yeah. sh- to enjoy and learn yeah, about, you yeah. know, and it's like, I don't know, it's just like, it's just like this catch 22 of, of my philosophy that yeah. just doesn't make sense. Everybody should be traveling, but yeah. I think, I think now everywhere. it should be more possible because, um, our humankind has had more, a lot of time to develop and s- establish what they are in each different places in the world so i think like right now the last 10 years 20 years is the perfect time for 
I guess, countries to be able to make their citizens be able to get out a bit more and see the world. Because yeah, like yeah. it's the the traditions there, the cultures there now, um, and it's time that we open up and share it with others. Yeah, absolutely. Not only through people visiting your country, but you going out there as well, or sending people out there to spread it. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Have you um, have you experienced any type of like racism or negative feedback from people when they find out you're Thai in any any countries you've been to? No, not not right now, not yet. Good. I guess everyone I've met so far has been pretty top notch guys. Except from that dude from <laughs> our earlier question. Yeah. Yeah. But that that wasn't racism. I think that was just a bit of ignorance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it and it was such a like a hypocritical type yeah. of yeah. ignorance or response. Is there anything that your travel friends know about you that your friends back home don't? No. I'm pretty open as you probably would have found out with this little conversation we had. And what my, the thing is my friends back home, uh, as I said, I burnt my bridges and joined the army. Those boys now, like my friends that I've known from the army, they're, they're guys I'm gonna give my life for, you know? So they pretty much know me, everything. And yeah, what I share with the people I meet, on this travel um, I don't want to be vague when I talk to them but most of the conversation as it evolves is how how I open up more I guess yeah yeah it's just if you ask a question I'll answer is that easy it's, I'm just me and there's not really much I need to not say about myself yeah it's, who, it's what's, or end of the day, is what's made me who I am, so why I hide it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me about a person you've met on your travels who's had a, a memorable impact on you, whether good or bad, other ah. than the, the, the French guy? <laughs> There's so many, man. So many. Anything that stands out right God now? Damn. Uh, it, it'll be... I guess this Norwegian dude that's gonna help me out in Oslo is he's in his 30s um, he's traveled through Europe before through little trips and stuff like that and Sri Lanka was his first place from Norway and it's his first time traveling on his own with a backpack and now he's in Thailand what stands out about him is that I guess it's just he's he's on his way to sort of find his meaning I guess or a lot of people I guess do that they go out and they try to find what what else they can do to sort of progress through their own life and I see this guy and he's really pretty inspirational to be at that age and say god damn it I'm gonna get out of here and do this (laughs) another one I was um, at the Lion Rock in Sigiriya. This German lady, she came up and I was like taking pictures for people at the Lion's Paw. 
And she was like, oh my God, can you, can you take a picture for me as well? And it's like, yeah, no worries. Took her picture and she's like, oh, can I get, where are you from? And I said, Thailand. She's like, oh, wow. Can I take a picture of you, please, with this? And I was like, yeah, jumped in there, took a picture. And she was going to climb up to the top of that rock. And she probably before that climbed from the bottom anyway to get to that lion's paw part. She's 85, dude. Wow. And she looks still pretty fucking strong and <laughs> traveling around. And I said, ma'am, when I'm 85, I hope I still have the same fucking energy as you do and still go around like this. I think we all hope that. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I love to see people well into those ages still traveling. Oh, yeah, man. So, so many people tell me like, ah, oh, you got to do it while you're young. I wish I'd have done that. No, not, not and I'm always thinking, it's not too late. It's you're still alive, late. you're still breathing, there's a yeah, way. there's a way, for sure. What is the first step you would recommend to someone who is now inspired and wants to start traveling just like you? Wow, that's, that's a big one, right? Um, I guess just have they have their destination in mind or no? Um, you can approach it whichever way you'd prefer. Cool. I would say pick a place that sings out to you the most. Sort of go with your intuition, with your thought process and interpret like why you have this thought about this place and just go with it, pick that spot and be like, okay, I'm going to go there and that'll be my starting point. Just as I said, I'm going to pick Thailand because, you know, that's where I'm from and that's where I'm going to start it off. That's, there's that reason behind it. And surprisingly, I, I really believe in this, that there's this unknown calling that you get, that you ex you know, that you get this feeling and you're like, okay, your intuition will just show you the way and trust in that. And it'll just lead you, I guess, on the right path, really, most of the time. <laughs> I like that. It actually resonates with um, the book I'm rereading called Vagabonding, yeah. A Guide to Long-Term Travel, World Travel, and it's by Rolf Potts. Yeah. And uh, he kind of talks on that, like, if you just there's really like so many different ways you can go about picking a destination like maybe you saw a movie that inspired you for a place or exactly. you just always wanted to go to Machu Picchu or you took a kung fu class and so you want to go to China like you know whatever yeah. the motivation is like whatever the excuse you need use it and yeah. the, the mo just be open to the fact that it's probably not going to be what you expected and the most memorable parts of your trip are probably are going to have nothing to do with that initial reason no to but anyways but that lead you there yeah yeah but like that's that's a great way to just get going yeah get on the path fuck yeah man all right last question do you consider yourself lost no i have this certain goal that i'm uh seeing through but in saying that, let's say I've opened my restaurant, it's either going to be a success or a failure. If it is a failure, trust me, it won't be from lack of hard work. Um, 
and it is a dream. So once I open it, and a dream is once a dream is realized, it's no longer a dream, is it? No. So at that point, I'll probably be back on the thinking chair, and I think I wouldn't be lost, but I'll be finding something new to pursue, I guess, at that point. But that's fucking way into the future, whenever that is. <laughs> well, I hope. Uh I hope when that time comes, I can go and and sit at that table and and see that creation, see that inspiration from all these travels out here represented on that plate. Oh, definitely, dude. You're definitely gonna find out where it is, and when you have the time, come over, look after you, man. Absolutely. Well, brother, I appreciate your time this evening. It's been uh, lovely out here with the dogs and, and the, the random Sri Lankan men with the, the flashlights. Yeah, and the flashlights. Trying to figure us. out what we're doing over here. Making <laughs> <laughs> you can only imagine what's going through his head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> These two dudes just sitting here. Microphone, yeah. beer. <laughs> There's something uh, phallus shaped by their mouths. I don't know what's going on. Nah, man, it's been great. I, I really appreciate actually doing this. And my first interview, I guess. Well, you killed it. You knocked yeah. it out of the park, man. <laughs> well, I hope that you enjoy the rest of your culinary experience. Um, before you go back to Thailand and have a good trip back with the family. Bro. Oh, yeah. And I've guessed what tomorrow you're going to be moving up. Yep. Taking off. Yep. Head up the coast. Back to, to India. Head back to India. Cool, man. Yeah, man. Well, we'll be in the same country. Not in the same area, but... Yeah. Same diff. Close enough. <laughs> yeah. Same, same, but different, eh? <laughs> same, same, but different. That's what they say here. <laughs> Hi, brother. Thank you so much. Appreciate nice. it.